0: Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916 633 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 6. At the end of the 30th day of festivities, with 60 days more of partying to enjoy, Buttercup was genuinely concerned that she might lack the strength to endure. Smile, smile, hold hands, bow and thank, over and over. She was simply exhausted from one month. How was she to survive twice that? It turned out, because of the king's health, to be both easy and sad. For with 55 days ago, Larthorin began to weaken terribly. Prince Humperdinck ordered new doctors brought in. There was still the last miracle man alive, Max, but since they had fired him long before, bringing him back on the case now was simply not deemed wise. If he was incompetent then, when Lothran was only desperately ill, how could he suddenly be a cure-all now, with Lothrin dying? The new doctors all agreed on various tried and true medications, and within 48 hours of their coming on the case, the king was dead. The wedding date, of course, was unchanged. It wasn't every day a country had a 500th anniversary. But all the festivities were either curtailed entirely or vastly cut down, and Prince Humperdinck became... 45 days before the wedding, King of Florin. And that changed everything, because before, he had taken nothing but his hunting seriously. And now he had to learn, learn everything, learn to run a country. And he buried himself in books and wise men, and how do you tax this, and when should you tax that, and foreign entanglements, and who should be trusted, and how far, and with what. And before her lovely eyes, Humperdinck changed from a man of fear and action to one of frenzied wisdom because he had to get it all straight now before any other country dared interfere with the future of Florin. So the wedding, when it actually took place, was a tiny thing and brief, sandwiched in between a minister's meeting and a treasury crisis. And Buttercup spent her first afternoon as queen wandering around the castle, not knowing what in the world to do with herself. It wasn't until King Humperdinck walked out on the balcony with her to greet the gigantic throne that had spent the day impatient, waiting when she realized that it had happened. She was the queen. Her life, for whatever it was worth, belonged now to the people. They stood together on the castle balcony, accepting the cheers, the cries, the endless, thunderous Hip hips, until Buttercup said, Please, may I walk once more among them? And the king said with a nod that she might, and down she went again, as on the day of the wedding announcement, radiant and alone. And again the people swept apart to let her pass. Weeping and cheering and bowing and and then one person booed. On the balcony watching it all, Humperdink reacted instantly, gesturing soldiers into the area where the sound had come from, dispatching more troops quickly down to surround the queen. And like clockwork, Buttercup was safe. The booer apprehended and led away. Hold a moment, Buttercup said, still shaken by the unexpectedness of what had happened. The soldier who held the Boer stopped. "'Bring her to me,' Buttercup said, and in a moment the boer was right there, eye to eye. It was an ancient woman, withered and bent, and Buttercup thought of all the faces that had gone by in her lifetime, but this one she could not remember. "'Have we met?' the queen asked. The old one shook her head. "'Then why? Why on this day? Why do you insult the queen?' Because you're not worthy of cheers, the old woman said, and suddenly she was yelling. You had love in your hands, and you gave it up for gold, she turned to the crowd. It's true what I tell you. There was love alongside her in the fire swamp, and she dropped it from her fingers like garbage. And that is what she is, the queen of garbage. I had given my word to the prince, Buttercup began, but the old woman would not be quieted. Ask her how she got through the fire swamp. Ask her if she did it alone. She threw love away to be the queen of grime, the queen of muck. I'm old and life means nothing to me, so I'm the only person in all this crowd to dare tell the truth. And truth says bow to the queen of feculence if you want to, but not I. Cheer the queen of slime and odor if you want to, but not I. Rave over the beauty of the queen of cesspools, but not I. Not I. She was advancing on Buttercup now. Take her away, Buttercup ordered. But the soldiers could not stop her, and the old woman kept coming on, her voice getting louder and louder and louder and louder and louder. And Buttercup woke up screaming. She was in her bed, alone, safe. The wedding was still 60 days away, but the nightmares had begun. The next night, she dreamed of giving birth to her first child In and... Interruption. And hey, how about giving old Morgan Stern credit for a major league fake out there? I mean, didn't you think for at least a while that they really did get married? I did. It's one of my biggest memories of my father's reading. I had pneumonia, remember? But I was a little better now and madly caught up in the book. And one thing you know when you're 10 is that no matter what, there's going to be a happy ending. They can sweat all they want to scare you, the authors, but back of it all, you know, you just have no doubt that in the long run, justice is going to win out. And Wesley and Buttercup, well, they had their troubles, sure, but they were going to get married and live happily ever after. I would have bet the family fortune if I had found a sucker big enough to take me on. Well, when my father got through with that sentence, but a wedding was sandwiched between the minister's meeting and the treasury whatever, I said, you read that wrong. "'My father's this little bald barber. Remember that, too? And kind of illiterate. "'Well, you just don't challenge a guy who has trouble reading and say he's read something incorrectly, "'cause that's really threatening.' "'I'm doing the reading,' he said. "'I know that. But you got it wrong. She didn't marry that rotten Humperdinck. She marries Wesley.' "'It says right here,' my father began, a little huffy, and he starts going over it again. "'You must have skipped a page, then. Something. Get it right, huh?' but now he was more than a tiny bit upset. I skipped nothing. I read the words. The words were there. I read them. Good night. And off he went. Hey, please, no, I called after him, but he's stubborn. And next thing, my mother was in saying, your father says his throat is too sore. I told him not to read so much. And she tucked and fluffed me. And no matter how much I battled, it was over. No more story until the next day. I spent that whole night thinking Buttercup married Humperdinck. It just rocked me. How can I explain it? But the world didn't work that way. Good got attracted to good. Evil you flushed down the toilet, and that was that. But their marriage. I couldn't make it jibe. God, did I work at it. First, I thought that probably Buttercup had this fantastic effect on Humperdinck and turned him into a kind of Wesley. Or maybe Wesley and Humperdinck turned out to be long-lost brothers and Humperdinck was so happy to get his brother back, he said, Look, Wesley, I didn't realize who you were when I married her, so what I'll do is divorce her and you marry her, and that way we can all be happy. To this day, I don't think I was ever more creative. But it didn't take. Something was wrong and I couldn't lose it suddenly there was this discontent gnawing away until it had a place big enough to settle in and then it curled up and stayed there and it's still inside me lurking as I write this now the next night when my father went back to reading and the marriage turned out to have been Buttercup's dream I screamed, I knew it, all along I knew it and my father said, so you're happy now, it's all right now we can please continue and I said go and he did but I wasn't happy Oh, my ears were happy, I guess. My story sense was happy. My heart, too. But in my, I guess you have to call it soul, there was that damn discontent shaking its dark head. All of this was never explained to me until I was in my teens, and there was this great woman who lived in my hometown, Edith Neisser, dead now, and she wrote terrific books about how we screw up our children. Brothers and Sisters was one of her books. The Eldest Child was another. And I remember once we were having iced tea on the nicer porch and talking. And just outside the porch was our badminton court. And I was watching some kids play badminton. And Ed had just shellacked me. And as I left the court for the porch, he said, Don't worry, it'll all work out. You'll get me next time. And I nodded. And then Ed said, And if you don't, you'll beat me at something else. I went to the porch and sipped iced tea and Edith was reading this book. And she didn't put it down when she said, That's not necessarily true, you know. I said, how do you mean? And that's when she put her book down and looked at me and said it. Life isn't fair, Bill. We tell our children that it is, but it's a terrible thing to do. It's not only a lie, it's a cruel lie. Life is not fair, and it never has been, and it's never going to be. Would you believe that for me right then, it was like one of those comic books where the light bulb goes over Mandrake the magician's head? It isn't, I said, so loud I really startled her. You're right, it's not fair. I was so happy if I had known how to dance, I'd have started dancing. Isn't that great? Isn't it just terrific? I think about here, Edith must have thought I was well on my way towards being bonkers. But it meant so much to me to have it said and out and free and flying. That was the discontent I endured the night my father stopped reading. I realized it right then. That was a reconciliation I was trying to make and couldn't. And that's what I think this book's about. Okay, enough. Back to the next. Nightmare time. The next night, she dreamed of giving birth to their first child. And it was a girl. A beautiful little girl. And Buttercup said, I'm sorry it wasn't a boy. I know you need an heir. And Humperdinck said, beloved sweet, don't concern yourself with that. Just look at the glorious child God's given us. And then he left, and Buttercup held the child to her perfect breast, and the child said, "'Your milk is sour.' And Buttercup said, "'Oh, I'm sorry.' And she shifted to the other breast, and the child said, "'No, this is sour too.' And Buttercup said, "'I don't know what to do.' And the baby said, "'You always know what to do. You always know exactly what to do. You always do exactly what's right for you, and the rest of the world can go hang.' And Buttercup said, "'You mean Wesley.' And the baby said, "'Of course I mean Wesley.' And Buttercup explained patiently, I thought he was dead. You see, I'd given my word to your father. And the baby said, I'm dying now. There's no love in your milk. Your milk has killed me. And then the child stiffened and cracked and turned in Buttercup's hands to nothing but dry dust. And Buttercup screamed and screamed. Even when she was awake again, with 59 days to go till her marriage, she was still screaming. The third nightmare came quickly the following evening. And again, it was a baby. This time it was a son, a marvelous strong boy, and Humperdinck said, Beloved, it's a boy. And Buttercup said, I didn't fail you, thank heavens. And then he was gone, and Buttercup called out, Massey, our son now? And all the doctors scurried around outside her royal room, but the boy was not brought in. What seems to be the trouble, Buttercup called out. And the chief doctor said, I don't quite understand, but he doesn't want to see you. And Buttercup said, Tell him I am his mother, and I am the queen, and I command his presence. And then he was there, just as handsome a baby boy as anyone could wish for. Close it, Buttercup said, and the doctors closed the door. The baby stood in the corner as far from her bed as he could. Come here, darling, Buttercup said. Why? Are you going to kill me too? I'm your mother, and I love you. Now come here. I've never killed anyone. You killed Wesley. Did you see his face in the fire swamp when you walked away and left him? That's what I call killing. When you're older, you'll understand things. Now I'm not going to tell you again. Come here. Murderer, the baby shouted. Murderer. But by then she was out of bed and she had him in her arms and was saying, Stop that. Stop at this instant. I love you. And he said, Your love is poison. It kills and he died in her arms and she started to cry. Even when she was awake again, with 58 days to go to her marriage, she was still crying. The next night, she simply refused to go to sleep. Instead, she walked and read and did needlework and drank cup after cup of steaming tea from the Indies. She felt sick with weariness, of course, but such was her fear of what she might dream that she preferred any waking discomfort to whatever sleep might have to offer. And at dawn, her mother was pregnant. no. "'More than pregnant. "'Her mother was having a baby. "'And as Buttercup stood there in the corner of the room, "'she watched herself be born, "'and her father gasped at her beauty, "'and so did her mother, "'and the midwife was the first to show concern. "'The midwife was a sweet woman, "'known throughout the village for her love of babies. "'And she said, "'Look, trouble.' "'And the father said, "'What trouble? "'Where before did you ever see such beauty?' "'And the midwife said, "'Don't you understand why she was given such beauty?' It's because she has no heart. Here, listen. The baby is alive, but there's no beat. And she held Buttercup's chest against the father's ear. And the father could only nod and say, We must find a miracle man to place a heart inside. But the midwife said, That would be wrong, I think. I've heard before of creatures like this. The heartless ones. And as they grow bigger, they grow more and more beautiful. And behind them, there is nothing but broken bodies and shattered souls. And these without hearts are anguish bringers. And my advice would be, since you're both still young, to have another child, a different child, and be rid of this one now. But of course, the final decision is up to you. And the father said to the mother, Well? And the mother said, Since the midwife is the kindest person in the village, she must know a monster when she sees one, so let's get to it. So Buttercup's father and Buttercup's mother put their hands to the baby's throat, and the babe began to gasp. Even when Buttercup was awake again at dawn, with 57 days to go till her marriage, she could not stop gasping. From then on, the nightmares became simply too frightening. When there were 50 days ago, Buttercup knocked one night on the door to Prince Humperdinck's chambers. She entered when he bid her to. I see trouble, he said. You look very ill. And so she did. Beautiful, of course. Still that but in no way well. Buttercup did not see quite how to begin. He ushered her into a chair. He got her water. He sipped at it, staring dead ahead. He put the glass to one side. At your convenience, princess, he said. It comes to this, Buttercup began. In the fire swamp, I made the worst mistake in all the world. I love Wesley. I always have. It seems I always will. I did not know this when you came to me, Please believe what I'm about to say. When you said that I must marry you or face death, I answered, kill me. I meant that. I mean this now, too. If you say I must marry you in 50 days, I'll be dead by morning. The prince was literally stunned. After a long moment, he knelt by Buttercup's chair and, in his gentlest voice, started to speak. I admit that when we first became engaged, there was to be no love involved. That was as much my choice as yours, though the notion may have come from you. But surely you must have noticed, in this last month of parties and festivities, a certain warming of my attitude. I have. You have been both sweet and noble. Thank you. Having said that, I hope you appreciate how difficult this next sentence is for me to say. I would die myself rather than cause you unhappiness by standing in the way of your marrying the man you love. Buttercup wanted almost to weep with gratitude. She said, I will bless you all my days for your kindness. Then she stood. So it's settled. Our wedding is off. He stood too, except for perhaps one thing. That being, have you considered the possibility that he might not now want any longer to marry you? Until that moment, she had not. "'You were, I hate to remind you, not altogether gentle with his emotions in the fire swamp. "'Forgive me for saying that, beloved, but you did leave him in the lurch in a manner of speaking.' "'Buttercup sat down hard, her turn now to be stunned. "'Humperdinck knelt again beside her. "'This Wesley of yours, this sailor boy, he has pride.' "'Buttercup managed to whisper, "'More than any man alive, I sometimes think.' Well, consider then, dearest. Here he is, off sailing somewhere with the dread pirate Roberts. He's had a month to survive the emotional scars you dealt him. What if he wants now to remain single? Or worse, what if he's found another? Buttercup was now even beyond whispering. I think, sweetest child, that we should strike a bargain, you and I. If Wesley wants to marry you still, bless you both. If. For reasons unpleasant to mention, his pride will not let him, then you'll marry me, as planned, and be the Queen of Florin. He couldn't be married, I'm sure, not my Wesley, she looks at the prince, but how can I find out? What about this? You write him a letter, tell him everything. We'll make four copies. I'll take my four fastest ships and order them off in all directions. The dread pirate Roberts is often not more than a month's sail from Florin. "'Whichever of my ships finds him will run the white flag of truce, "'deliver your letter, and Wesley can decide. "'If no, he can speak that message to my captain. "'If yes, my captain will sell him here to you, "'and I'll have to content myself somehow with a lesser bride. "'I think, I'm not sure, but I definitely think "'that this is the most generous decision I've yet heard. "'Do me this favor, then, in return.' "'Until we know Wesley's intentions, one way or another, let us continue as we have, "'so the festivities will not be halted. "'And if I seem too fond of you, remember that I cannot help myself.' "'Agreed,' Buttercup said, going to the door, but not before she kissed his cheek. "'He followed her. "'Off with you now and write your letter.' "'And he returned the kiss, smiling with his eyes at her until the corridor curved her from his sight. There was no doubt whatsoever in his mind that he was going to seem too fond of her on the days ahead. Because when she died of murder on their wedding night, it was crucial that all Florin realized the depths of his love, the epical size of his loss. Since then, no one would dare hesitate to follow him in the revenge war he was to launch against Gilder. At first, when he hired the Sicilian, he was convinced it was best to someone else do her in, all the while making it appear the work of soldiers from Gilder. And when the man in black had somehow materialized to spoil his plans, the prince came close to going insane with rage. But now his basically optimistic nature reasserted itself. Everything always worked out for the best. The people were infatuated with Buttercup now as they had never been before her kidnapping. And when he announced from their castle balcony that she had been murdered, he already saw the scene in his mind. He would arrive just too late to save her from strangling, but soon enough to see the Gilderan soldiers leaping from the window of his bedroom to the soft ground below. When he made that speech to the masses on the 500th anniversary of his country, well, there wouldn't be a dry eye in the square. And although he was just the least bit perturbed, since he had never actually killed the woman before with his bare hands, that was the first time for everything. Besides, if you wanted something done right, You did it yourself. That night, they began to torture Wesley. Count Rugen did the actual pain-inducing. The prince simply sat by, asking questions out loud, inwardly admiring the count's skill. The count really cared about pain. The whys behind the scream interested him fully as much as the anguish itself. And whereas the prince spent his life in physically following the hunt, Count Rugen read and studied anything he could get his hands on dealing with the subject of distress. "'All right now,' the prince said to Wesley, who lay in the great fifth-level cage. "'Before we begin, I want you to answer me this. "'Have you any complaints about your treatment thus far?' "'None whatsoever,' Wesley replied, and in truth he had none. "'Oh, he might have preferred being unchained a bit now and then, "'but if you were to be a captive, you couldn't ask for more than what he had been given.' The albino's medical ministrations had been precise, and his shoulder was fine again. The food the albino brought had always been hot and nourishing, the wine and brandy wonderfully warming against the darkness of the underground cage. You feel fit then, the prince went on. I assume my legs are a little stiff from being chained, but other than that, yes. Good. Then I promise you this as God himself is my witness. Answer the next question, and I will set you free this night. But you must answer it honestly, fully, withholding nothing. If you lie, I'll know. And then I'll lose the count on you. I have nothing to hide, Wesley said. Ask away. Who hired you to kidnap the princess? It was someone from Gilder. We found fabric indicating as much on the princess's horse. Tell me that man's name and you're free. Speak. "'No one hired me,' Wesley said. "'I was workly strictly freelance, and I didn't kidnap her. "'I saved her from others who were doing that very thing. "'You seem a reasonable fellow, "'and my princess claims to have known you many years, "'so I'll give you, on her account, one last and final chance. "'The name of the man in Gilder who hired you. "'Tell me, or face torture. "'No one hired me, I swear.' the Count set fire to Wesley's hands. Nothing permanent or disabling, he just dipped Wesley's hands in oil and brought a candle close enough to set things bubbling. When Wesley had screamed, NO ONE, NO ONE, NO ONE, ALL MY LIFE! a sufficient number of times, the Count dipped Wesley's hands in water and he and the Prince left via the underground entrance, leaving the medication to the albino, who was always nearby during the torturing times, but never visible enough to be distracting. I feel quite invigorated, the Count said as he and the Prince began to ascend the underground staircase. It's a perfect question. He was telling the truth clearly. We both know that. The Prince nodded. The Count was privy to all his innermost plans for the revenge war. I'm fascinated to see what happens, the Count went on. Which pain will be the least endurable? The physical or the mental anguish of having freedom offered if the truth is told, then telling it and being thought a liar? I think the physical, said the prince. I think you're wrong, said the count. Actually, they were both wrong. Wesley suffered not at all throughout. His screaming was totally a performance to please them. He had been practicing his defenses for a month now, and he was more than ready. The minute the count brought the candle close, Wesley raised his eyes to the ceiling, dropped his eyelids over them, and in a state of deep and steady concentration, he took his brain away. Buttercup was what he thought of, her autumn hair, her perfect skin, and he brought her very close beside him and had her whisper in his ear throughout the burning, I love you, I love you, I only left you in the fire swamp to test your love for me, is it as great as mine is for you, can two such loves exist on one planet at one time, is there that much room, beloved Wesley, the albino bandaged his fingers, Wesley lay still, For the first time, the albino started things. Whispered. You better tell them. From Wesley, a shrug. Whispered. They never stop. Not once they start. Tell them what they want to know and have done with it. Shrug. Whispered. The machine is nearly ready. They're testing it on animals now. Shrug. Whispered. It's for your own good, I tell you these things. My own good? What good? They're they are going to kill me anyway. From the albino. Nod. The prince found Buttercup waiting unhappily outside his chamber doors. It's my letter, she began. I cannot make it right. Come in, come in, the prince said gently. Maybe we can help you. She sat down in the same chair as before. All right, I'll close my eyes and listen. Read to me, Wesley, my passion, my sweet, my only, my own, come back, come back, I shall kill myself otherwise, yours in torment, Buttercup. She looked at Humperdink. well, do you think I'm throwing myself at him? It does seem a bit forward, the prince admitted, it doesn't leave him a great deal of room to maneuver. Will you help me improve it, please? I'll do what I can, sweet lady, but first it might help if I knew just a bit about him. Is he really so wonderful, this Wesley of yours? Not so much wonderful as perfect, she replied. Kind of flawless, more or less magnificent, without blemish, rather on the ideal side, she looked at the prince. Am I being helpful? I think emotions are clouding your objectivity just a bit. Do you actually think there's nothing the fellow can't do? Buttercup thought for a while. It's not so much that there's nothing he can't do. It's more that he can do it all better than anyone else can do it. The prince chuckled and smiled. (laughs) In other words, for example, you mean if he wanted to hunt, he could out-hunt again, for example, someone such as myself. Oh, I would think if he wanted to, he could, quite easily. But he happens not to like hunting, at least not to my knowledge. Though maybe he does, I I don't know. I never knew he was so interested in mountain climbing, but he scaled the cliffs of insanity under most adverse conditions. And everyone agrees that's not the easiest thing in the world to accomplish. Well then, why don't we just begin our letter with Divine Wesley and appeal to a sense of modesty, the prince suggested. Buttercup began to write, stopped. Does Divine begin D-E or D-I? D-I, I believe, amazing creature, the prince replied, smiling gently as Buttercup commenced a letter. They composed it in four hours, and many, many times she said, I can never get through this without you, and the prince was always most modest, asking a little helpful personal question about Wesley as often as possible without drawing attention to it. And in this way, well before dawn, she told him, smiling as she remembered, of Wesley's early fears of spinning ticks. And that night, in the fifth level cage, the prince asked, as he was to always asked, "Tell me the name of the man in Gilder who hired you to kidnap the princess, and I promise you immediate freedom." And Wesley replied. As he was always to reply, no one, no one, I was alone. And the Count, who had spent the day getting the spinners ready, placed him carefully on Wesley's skin, and Wesley closed his eyes and begged and pleaded, and after an hour or so, the Prince and Count left. The albino remaining behind with the chore of burning the spinners, and then pulling them free from Wesley, lest they accidentally poison him. And on the way up the underground stairs to ground level, the Prince said, just for conversation's sake, much better, don't you think? The Count, oddly, said nothing. Which was vaguely irritating to Humperdinck because, to tell the absolute truth, Torch was never all that high on his scale of passions, and he would just as soon as dispose of Wesley right then. If only Buttercup would admit that he, Humperdinck, was a better man. But she would not. She simply would not. All she ever talked about was Wesley. All she ever asked about was news of Wesley. Days went by. Weeks went by. Party after party went by, and all Florin was moved by the spectacle of their great hunting prince at last so clearly and wonderfully in love. But when they were alone, all she ever said was, I wonder where Wesley could be. What could be taking him so long? How can I live until he comes? Maddening. So each night, the Count's discomforts, which made Wesley writhe and twist, were really sort of all right. The prince could manage an hour or so spectating before he and the count would leave, the count still oddly silent, and down below, tending the wounds, the albino would whisper, Tell them, please! That will only add to your suffering. Wesley could barely suppress his smile. He felt no pain, not once, none. He had closed his eyes and taken his brain away. That was a secret. If you could take your brain away from the present and send it to where it could contemplate skin like wintry cream, well, let them enjoy themselves. His revenge time would come. Wesley was living now most of all for Buttercup, but there was no denying that there was one more thing he wanted, too. His time. Prince Humperdinck simply had no time. There seemed to be not one decision in all of Florin that one way or another didn't eventually come heavily to rest upon his shoulders. Not only was he getting married, his country was having his 500th anniversary. Not only was he noodling around in his mind the best ways to get a war going, he also had to constantly have affection shining from his eyes. Every detail had to be met, and met correctly. His father was just no help at all, refusing either to expire or stop mumbling. You thought his father was dead, but that was a fake out, remember? And start making sense. Queen Bella simply hovered around them, translating here and there, and it was with a shock that Prince Humperdinck realized, just 12 days before his wedding day, that he had neglected to set in motion the crucial guilder section of his plan. So he called Yellen to the castle late one night. Yellen was chief of all enforcement in Florence City, a job he had inherited from his father. The albino keeper at the zoo was Yellen's first cousin, and together they formed the only pair of non-nobles the prince could come close to trusting. "'Your Highness,' Yellen said. He was small, but crafty, with darting eyes and slippery hands. Prince Humperdin came out from behind his desk. He moved close to Yellen and looked carefully around before saying, softly, "'I've heard from unimpeachable sources that many men of Gilder have, of late, begun to infiltrate our thieves' quarter. They're disguised as knees, and I'm worried.' "'I've heard nothing of such a thing,' Yellen said. "'A prince has spies everywhere.' I understand, said Yellen, and you think, since the evidence points that they tried to kidnap your fiancé once, such a thing might happen again? It's a possibility. I'll close off the thief's quarter then, Yellen said. No one will enter, and no one will leave. Not good enough, said the prince. I want the thieves' quarter emptied and every villain jailed until I'm safely on my honeymoon. Yellen did not nod quickly enough, so the prince said, State your problem. My men are not always too happy at the thought of entering the thieves' quarters. Many of the thieves resist change. Root them out. Form a brute squad, but get it done. It takes at least a week to get a decent brute squad going, Yellen said. But that's enough time. He bowed and started to leave. And that was when the scream began. Yellen had heard many things in his life, but nothing quite so eerie as this. He was a brave man but this sound frightened him. It was not human, but he could not guess the throat of the beast it had come from. It was actually a wild dog on the first level of the zoo, but no wild dog had ever shrieked like that before. But then, no wild dog had ever been put in the machine. The sound grew in anguish, and it filled the night skies It spread across the castle grounds, over the walls, even into the great square beyond. It would not stop. It simply hung now below the sky, an audible reminder of the existence of agony. In the great square, half a dozen children screamed back at the night, trying to blot out the sound. Some wept. Some only ran for home. Then it began to lessen in volume. Now it was hard to hear in the great square. Now it was gone. Now it was hard to hear on the castle walls. Now it was gone from the castle walls. It shrunk across the grounds towards the first level of the Zoo of Death, where Count Rugen sat fiddling with some knobs. The wild dog died. Count Rugen rose, and it was all he could do to bury his own Shriek of Triumph. He left the zoo and ran towards Prince Humperdinck's chambers. Yellen was just going when the Count got there. The Prince was seated now, behind his desk. When Yellen was gone and they were alone, the Count bowed to his majesty. The machine he said at last, works. Prince Humperdinck took a while before answering. It was a ticklish situation, granted he was the boss, the count merely an underling. Still, no one in all Florin had Rugen's skills. As an inventor, he had, obviously, at last, rid the machine of all defects. As an architect, he had been crucial in the safety factors involved in the Zua Death, And it had undeniably been Rugen who had arranged for the only survivable entrance being the underground 5th level one. He was also supportive to the prince in all endeavors of hunting and battle. And you didn't give a follower like that a quick, get away boy, you bother me. So the prince indeed took a while. Look, Ty, he said finally, I'm just thrilled you smoothed all the bugs out of the machine. I never for a moment doubted you'd get it right eventually. And I'm really anxious as can be to see it working. But how can I put this? I can't keep my head above water one minute to the next. It's not just the parties and the Googling Well, what's-her-name. I've got to decide how long the 500th anniversary parade is going to be. And where does it start? And when does it start? And which nobleman gets to march in front of which other nobleman so that everyone's still speaking to me at the end of it? Plus, I've got a wife to murder and a country to frame for it. Plus, I've got to get the war going once that's all happened. And all this stuff, i got to do myself. "'Here's what it all comes down to. "'I'm just swamped, Ty. "'So how about if you get to work on Wesley and tell me how it goes, "'and when I get the time, I'll come watch, and, "'and I'm sure it'll just be wonderful. "'But for now, what I like is a little breathing room. "'No hard feelings?' "'Count Rugen smiled. "'None. "'And there weren't any. "'He always felt better when he could dole out pain alone. "'You could concentrate much more deeply when you were alone with agony.' I knew you'd understand, Ty. There was a knock on the door, and Buttercup stuck her head in. Any news? she said. The prince smiled at her and sadly shook his head. Honey, I promised to tell you the second I hear a thing. It's only twelve days, though. Plenty of time, dulcet darling. Now don't worry yourself. I'll leave you, Buttercup said. I was going too, the count said. May I walk you to your quarters? Buttercup nodded, and down the corridors they wandered till they reached her suite. Good night, Buttercup said quickly. Ever since that day he had first come to her father's farm, she had always been afraid whenever the count came near. I'm sure he'll come, the count said. He was privy to all the prince's plans, and Buttercup was well aware of this. I don't know your fellow well, but he impressed me greatly. "'Any man who can find his way through the fire swamp "'can find his way to Florin Castle before your wedding day.' "'Buttercup nodded. "'He seemed so strong, so remarkably powerful,' the Count went on, "'his voice warm and lulling. "'I only wondered if he possessed true sensitivity, "'as some men of great might, as you know, do not. "'For example, I wonder, is he capable of tears?' "'Wesley would never cry.' "'Buttercup answered, opening her chamber door, "'except for the death of a loved one. "'And with that, she closed the counterway "'and, alone, went to her bed and knelt. "'Wesley,' she thought then, "'do come, please. "'I begged you in my thoughts now these many weeks "'and still no word. "'Back when we were on the farm, "'I thought I loved you, but that was not love. "'When I saw your face behind the mask "'on the ravine floor, I thought I loved you. "'But that, again, was nothing more "'than deep infatuation.' Beloved, I think I love you now, and I pray you only give me a chance to spend my life in constant proving. I could spend my life in the fire swamp and sing from morn till night if you were by me. I could spend eternity sinking down through snow sand if my hand held your hand. My preference would be to last eternity with you beside me on a cloud, but hell would also be a lark if Wesley was with me. She went on that way, silent hour after silent hour. She had done nothing else for thirty-eight evenings now, and each time her ardor deepened. Her thoughts became more pure. Wesley, Wesley, flying across the seven seas to claim her. For his part, and quite without knowing, Wesley was spending his evenings in much the same fashion. After the torture was done, when the albino had finished tending his slashes or burns or breaks, when he was alone in the giant cage, he sent his brain a buttercup, and there it dwelled. He understood her so well. In his mind, he realized that moment he had left her on the farm when she swore love, certainly she meant it, but she was barely 18. What did she know of the depth of the heart? Then again, when he had removed his black mask and she had tumbled to him, surprise had been operating, stunned astonishment as much as emotion. But just as he knew that the sun was obliged to rise each morning in the east, no matter how much a western arisal might have pleased it, So he knew that Buttercup was obliged to spend her love on him. Gold was inviting, and so was royalty, but they could not match the fever in his heart, and sooner or later she would have to catch it. She had less choice than the sun. So when the Count appeared with the machine, Wesley was not particularly perturbed. As a matter of fact, he had no idea what the Count was bringing with him into the giant cage. As a matter of absolute fact... The Count was bringing nothing. It was the albino who was doing the actual work, making trip after trip with thing after thing. And that's what it really looked like to Wesley. Things. Little soft-rimmed cups of various sizes and a wheel, most likely, and another object that could turn out to be either a lever or a stick. It was hard to tell. A good, good evening to you, the Count began. He had never, to Wesley's memory, shown such excitement. Wesley made a very weak nod in return. Actually, he felt about as well as ever, but it didn't do to let that kind of news get around. Feeling a bit under the weather, the count asked. Wesley made another feeble nod. The albino scurried in and out, bringing more things, wire-like extensions, stringy and endless. That will be all, the count said finally. Nod. Gone. Gone. This is the machine, the Count said when they were alone. I spent 11 years constructing it. As you can tell, I'm rather excited and proud. Wesley managed an affirmative blink. I'll be putting it together for a while. And with that, he got busy. Wesley watched the construction with a good deal of interest and, logically enough, curiosity. You heard that scream a bit earlier on this evening. Another affirmative blink. That was a wild dog. This machine caused that sound. It was a very complex job the Count was doing, but the six fingers on his right hand never for a moment seemed in doubt as to just what to do. I'm very interested in pain, the Count said, as I'm sure you've gathered these past months. In an intellectual way, actually. I've written, of course, for the more learned journals on the subject. Articles, mostly. At the present, I'm engaged in writing a book. My book, the book, I hope, the definitive work on pain, at least as we know it now. Wesley found the whole thing fascinating. He made a little groan. I think pain is the most underrated emotion available to us, the Count said. The serpent, to my interpretation, was pain. Pain has been with us always, and it always irritates me when people say as important as life and death, because a proper phrase to my mind should be, as important as pain and death. The Count fell silent for a time then, as he began and completed a series of complex adjustments. One of my theories, he said somewhat later, is that pain involves anticipation. Nothing original, I admit, but I'm going to demonstrate to you what I mean. I will not, underline, not, use a machine on you this evening. I could. It's ready and tested. But instead, I will simply erect it and leave it beside you. For you to stare at the next 24 hours, wondering just what it is and how it works and can it really be as dreadful as all that. He tightened some things here, loosened some more over there, tugged and padded and shaped. The machine looked so silly, Wesley was tempted to giggle. Instead, he groaned again. (laughs) I'll leave you to your imagination then, the Count said, and he looked at Wesley. But I want you to know one thing before tomorrow night happens to you, and I mean it. You are the strongest, the most brilliant and brave, the most altogether worthy creature it has ever been my privilege to meet. And I feel almost sad that, for the purposes of my book, and future pain scholars, I must destroy you. Thank you, Wesley breathed softly. The Count went to the cage door and said over his shoulder, And you can stop all your performing about how weak and beaten you are. You haven't fooled me for a month. You're practically as strong now as on the day you entered the fire swamp. I know your secret, if that's any consolation to you. Secret? Hushed. Strained. You've been taking your brain away, the count cried. You haven't felt the least discomfort in all these months. You raise your eyes and drop your eyelids, and then you're off. Probably with, I, I don't know, her most likely. Good night now. Try and sleep. I, I doubt you'll be able to. Anticipation, remember? With a wave, he mounted the underground stairs. Wesley could feel the sudden pressure of his heart. Soon the albino came, note by Wesley's ear, whispered, I've been watching you all these days. You deserve better than what's coming. I'm needed. No one else feeds the beasts as I do. I'm safe. They won't hurt me. I'll kill you if you like. That will foil them. I've got some good poison. I beg you, I've seen the machine. I was there when the wild dog screamed, Please, let me kill you. "'You'll thank me, I swear.' "'I must live,' whispered. "'But,' interruption, "'they will not reach me. "'I'm all right. "'I'm fine. "'I'm alive, and I will stay that way.' He said the words aloud, and he said them with passion. But for the first time in a long time, there was terror. "'Well, could you sleep?' the Count asked the next night upon his arrival in the cage. "'Quite honestly?' No, Wesley replied in his normal voice. I'm glad you're being honest with me. I'll be honest with you. No more charades between us, the Count said, putting down a number of notebooks and quill pens and ink bottles. I must carefully track your reactions, he explained. In the name of science? The Count nodded. If my experiments are valid, my name will last beyond my body. It's immortality I'm after, to be quite honest. He adjusted a few knobs on the machine. I suppose you're naturally curious as to how this works. I spent the night pondering, and I know no more than when I started. It appears to be a great conglomeration of soft-rimmed cups of infinitely varied sizes, together with a wheel and a dowel and a lever, and what it does is beyond me. Also glue, added the Count, pointing to a small tub of thick stuff, to keep the cups attached. And with that, he set to work, taking cup after cup, touching the soft rims with glue and setting them against Wesley's skin. Eventually, I have to put one on your tongue, too, the Count said, but I'll save that for last in case you have any questions. This certainly isn't the easiest thing to get set up, is it? I'll be able to fix that in later models, the Count said. At least those are my present plans. And he kept right on putting cup after cup on Wesley's skin until every inch of exposed surface was covered. So much for the outside, the Count said then. This next is a bit more delicate. Try not to move. I'm chained, hand, head, and foot, Wesley said. How much movement do you think I'm capable of? Are you really as brave as you sound, or are you a little frightened? The truth, please. Remember, this is for posterity. I'm a little frightened, Wesley replied. The Count jotted that down, along with the time. Then he got down to the fine work, and soon there were tiny, tiny soft-rimmed cups on the inside of Wesley's nostrils, against his eardrums, under his eyelids, above and below his tongue, and before the count arose, Wesley was covered inside and out with the things. "'Now all I do,' the count said very loudly, hoping Wesley could hear, "'is get the wheel going to as fast a spin so that I have more than enough power to operate.' And the dial can be set from 1 to 20, and, this being the first time, I'll set it at the lowest setting, which is 1. And then all I need to do is push the lever forward, and we should, if I haven't gummed it up, be in full operation. But Wesley, as the lever moved, took his brain away. And when the machine began, Wesley was stroking her autumn-colored hair and touching her skin a wintry cream and... 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 And then his world exploded because the cups, the cups were everywhere. And before, they punished his body but left his brain. Only not the machine. The machine reached everywhere. His eyes were not his to control. And his ears could not hear her gentle, loving whisper. And his brain slid away. Slid far from love into the deep vault of despair. Hit hard. Fell again. Down through the house of agony into the country of pain. Inside and out, Wesley's world was ripping apart and he could do nothing but crack along with it. The Count turned off the machine then. And as he picked up his notebooks, he said, As you no doubt know, the concept of the suction pump is centuries old. Well, basically, that's all this is. Except instead of water, I'm sucking life. I've just sucked away one year of your life. Later, I'll set the dial higher. Certainly to two or three. Perhaps even the five. Theoretically, five should be five times more severe than what you just endured, so please be specific in your answers. Tell me now, honestly, how do you feel? In humiliation, in suffering, in frustration, in anger, and anguish, so great it was dizzying, Wesley cried like a baby. Interesting, said the Count. And carefully noted it down. <laughs> <laughs> Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook Leave a review on Spotify Takes like 13 seconds There's numbers at the top Near the um, title of the actual show Go ahead and just push that button And then push 5 stars I appreciate it Um, You can also leave a review on Podchaser Copy and paste that into Apple Podcasts And then copy and paste that into Good Pods um, you can donate to the show through patreon.com slash single simulcast or buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app, there's a tip jar. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going you later. Peace.